Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let us begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for giving us your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we were dead in our sins, he died for our sins. You raised him from the dead, and then whoever believes in him receives eternal life. Father, we thank you for providing us this place to worship in. We thank you that every morning we can wake up and think about you and thinking about what you've given us forever and praise you and sing to you. We ask you, Father, this morning that we would uh, be able to concentrate through the power of the Spirit on the Word of God that's living and active and that we would, Father, to take the principles that we're learning today and have it transform our hearts in some way. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. I would ask that you stay seated for the time being. Um, it's suspected now that singing itself can be a trend. So you can sing, but be thoughtful of people if they're right in front of you. Okay, so that. I know that's a little confusing, but so is all the advice we've been getting for the last year. So we're going to try this for a little while. We're still going to have the songs. You can still sing, but, you know. Don't be blaring it in the ears of the person in front of you. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy lost demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All good. Thou must save and thou
for me. Let me hide myself in He'll carry us 
Well, I'll say this, those suggested next videos can be dangerous. That's all I have to say this morning. I don't know if you can read all of them, but if you, if you can't, that's good. You know what I'm talking about. Like when, when, when we play a video, sometimes there's the next one sitting there towards the end. I don't know if you noticed that in the first song. And it's like, oh, I don't think we want to play that one. <clears throat> anyway. Good morning again, everyone. Uh, we long, of course, for the day. It's going to be a great day when we can actually have singers up there again and we can all sing together. Hopefully that will be sooner rather than later. We thank you for your understanding about that. I also want to, um, but from time to time, we do take a fresh look at, as you can tell, the different COVID recommendations, that we, guidelines that we're given. Just want to remind everybody, with respect to the mask, we do want you to wear a mask when you're in, indoors. But if you have a medical condition that makes breathing difficult, you're not expected to wear a mask. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't wear one. So I just want to make sure everyone understands that as well. Okay. By the way, we also practice um, social distancing. Although I was thinking, you know, it really should be called anti-social distancing when you think about it. But anyway, all right. No more jokes. I get it. All right. Um, also, it's a new month, so new missionary. This month, we're looking at featuring Pastor Kingsley Emaniki. Um, most of you know him. He's visited us in the past. I contacted him yesterday to see if there's anything he wanted me to announce. And um, he, had a, he had a message that I want to read to you this morning. He says, my request this year is for God's, God's healing in our hearts over the losses of Steve and Marilyn and to the recovery of the members of Lighthouse Bible Church who are experiencing health challenges. Honestly, I've yet to come out of the trauma over these losses. I dedicate this year to those fallen invisible heroes who were part of Lighthouse Bible Church. I don't think I'll have any potential trips this year because of the challenges of COVID. My sincere regard to your family and members of Lighthouse Bible Church. So I wanted to pass that along. And of course, you know, uh, please obviously always keep him in prayer. He needs support, um, both prayer and financially. And um, again, he was originally from Nigeria, now lives in Canada. Has a lot of um, connections, if you will, of pastors in Western um, Africa that he does um, guide and provide help to when he can. Visits them when he can, unfortunately, right now. That's not possible. All righty. Also, because this is the first Sunday of the month, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together at the end of service today. Today's message, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Last Sunday, we began our series in the Gospel of John by seeing why John wrote this Gospel. If you could, let's return one more time to John chapter 20 verse 30, so we can just recall, refresh our memories about why John wrote this gospel. He tells us, he states his purpose, as we saw last week, in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing, I'm sorry, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that's so important, and that believing you may have life in his name. Remember, we saw five subjects here that we want to keep in mind, keep in memory. I, please, I ask you to commit these to memory. First one is signs. And the, the Gospel of John presents seven particular signs that were specifically chosen in order to support the main purpose, which is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The second 
thing I want you to think about, because we're going to see it throughout this gospel, is believe. Believe. Remember I mentioned last week that that word believe is mentioned 98 times in this gospel. It's an overwhelming point of this gospel, is that these signs you may see and that you may believe two things. One is that Jesus is the Christ, and the other is that Jesus is the Son of God. You could could say this whole gospel is really answering the question, who is Jesus? Or you look at it the other way, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? Those are so important. The Christ, of course, meant that he was the Messiah, promised Messiah, uh, the Jews were waiting for. They're still waiting for him, not realizing that he came. But in any event, that's the Messiah, the king. He'll one day come back and he'll set up his kingdom and his throne will be in Jerusalem. And all the nations will stream to Jerusalem to worship him. Number four, remember the Son of God. And this is where we're going to be today when we go to chapter one. We're going to see that the, the, if there's one main point about who is Jesus in this gospel, it's this. That he's the Son of God. That he is God. That he is God in the flesh. That he's always existed. He's always been with the Father. And when he came here, he exhibited himself with the glory of God. Okay, and then finally, life. I came that they may have life, and they may have it abundantly. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved forever. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in the Son of God will not perish, but have eternal life. Life is the fifth thing, the subject that I want you to keep in mind throughout as we read this entire gospel. The signs that are shown that he performed, seven of them, the, the, the central importance of believing. The third is that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah. That's the Old Testament fulfillment. Number four, that he's the Son of God, that he's God himself. And number five, that he came to bring life. We're going to see these again and again and again as we move through the Gospels. And I mentioned the Gospel at the end of last week. They'll, they'll become more and more prominent, significant, and intense as we go forward. So please remember these things. If you don't remember them, just turn back once again to John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now, in addition to remembering these five things, I also strongly, 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 strongly encourage you to be reading the Gospel of John yourself. Um, Perhaps more than just about any other book. uh, Because John, the way he writes is he'll bring something up. And then he will move on, and then you'll see it again, and then you'll see it more strongly. And at the end, you'll see him state it boldly. But then if you go back to the beginning, now you can say, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I see how that all works. Let me go again and see how these connections work together. There's no substitute, in other words, for you yourself reading the Gospel of John. I encourage you to do it often. Read it as often as you can. It is a long book. It's one of the longer books in the New Testament, which is why you can break it up into pieces. All right. One section at a time, one section a day. This won't take you that long that way. I just want to go through this now. It's you don't have to read it this way, but I suggest this as one way you can do it. If you love if you're able to read for a longer period of time, then read the whole thing. Okay, but at least you can see how you can go at it one day at a time. So that in a week you'd read the the whole gospel and then you can go back. So. John 1, 1 to 18, it's the introduction, the prologue. Then on day 2, John 1, 19 through 4, 54. Day 3, John 5, 1 through 7, 52. Day 4, John 7, 53 to 10, 42. 
John, day 5, John 11, 1 through 12:50. That section from, from day 2 to day 5 is sometimes called the book of signs. It's when we see the sign miracles followed by discourses where he kind of just talks about something related to the sign. Jesus usually is speaking for a long period of time, relatively. Um, then we get to day 6, and it's John 13 to 17. These chapters record when Jesus was with his disciples and the night before he went to the cross and the things that he said to them. And then on day 7, you can read John 18 to 21. It's really the climax, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the very end, we can see uh, him ministering one more time to the disciples. So again, I would suggest that. You don't have to follow that, but that's a good way to break it up. You'll see that these are units. Um, one of the great things about the Gospel of John is that it's clear where the units are. He'll, he'll almost always give us an indication where he kind of resolves what he's saying, and then he moves on. Okay, so you'll be able to see that if you read it this way as well. Okay, so with that as an um, introduction today, I'd now like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. We are going to start from the beginning this morning with what's called the prologue to this Gospel. It's the first 18 verses in chapter 1. It's uh, remarkable. It's, it's, you read it and you realize that you're reading something unique. And that's all true at the same time. It bring, it's not like it's a separate... Some people want to say that he wrote it separately or that somebody else wrote it. That's not true because you can see that everything that's brought up here, again, is, is tied into what comes later. And so it's an integral part of the Gospel of John, even though it's a unique and marvelous way to begin this, this Gospel. Let's read. We're going to read all 18 verses this morning, although we're then going to go back and, and look at in more detail verses 1 through 4. Let's begin. John 1.18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from, John, from God whose name was John. By the way, this is John the Baptist. He came as a witness... One of the many witnesses that we're going to see in this gospel, by the way. He came as a witness to testify about the light. Who is the light? The Word. We're going to see that's Jesus Christ. If you haven't seen that already, if you know that already. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. So that all might, there's that word, believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. There was the true light. The true light is who? The word. The light of men. There was the true light, which coming into the world. Now we see that there's the word of God existed for all time, was with the Father, was God. And now there's this, there's this point in time in which the light comes into the world. And when he does so, he enlightens every man. Verse 10, he was in the world. The world was made through him. And the world did not know him. There's the darkness. He came to his own Jewish people. 
And those who were his own did not receive him, mostly. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The children of God are born of God. This is not natural birth. This is what we call being born again. As Jesus will explain later to Nicodemus in chapter 3. Verse 14. Back to the word. And the word became flesh. The word that has existed for all time and before time. The word that was with God from the beginning. The word that is God. The word that created all things. Nothing's come into being apart from him. The word who is life itself. And in that light of men, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Clearly, the writer now we see is an eyewitness. We'll get into more of who he is as that, that unfolds in this gospel. And we saw his glory. We saw it. In other words, the word, God, the Son of God, became flesh came human as well as God, and he dwelt among us. He lived with us. And we saw his glory. They saw his glory many times. They saw, the glory is shown in, of course, the miracle signs. The glory is also shown in when, when he went to the cross. He would say to the Father, glorify me in the glory that you've had from the foundation of the world. We saw his glory. The, the disciples saw it. Glory as the, of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, and truth. John testified about him and he cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And then we see in verse 17, the name, Jesus Christ. Everything we've read about the word so far is Jesus Christ. That is the significance of this gospel. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ, the Son of God. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who was with God and is always in the bosom of the Father he, Jesus Christ, has explained his father. But in the beginning was the word. Anybody who's read the book of Genesis can instantly hear echoes of John, Genesis 1.1. I'd like you to turn to now. You can hear echoes of Genesis 1.1 in that first verse of John. It's unmistakable. Please turn to Genesis now, 1-1. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. That's John 1-1, but look at Genesis. Shouldn't be hard to find. It's the first verse of the Bible. All right, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, there it is again. In the beginning. The same thing that we just read in John. But we'll see with a difference. For the in the beginning in Genesis is not the same 
in the beginning, as in John. That's a mouthful. Let me say that again. In the beginning, that expression in Genesis is not the same as the expression in the beginning in John. We're going to see that in a moment. Nevertheless, clearly, when that was written by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was meant for us to reverberate back and see it in Genesis and start to see that there's a relationship here. And let's look at that relationship and let's see what comes out of it. These beginnings that are talked about in the Gospel of John as well as in Genesis. Again, in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. God. Who created the heavens and the earth? God. God created everything that you see around you, everything that you know is out there, everything that you've never seen but know exists. It's all been created by God. The heavens and the earth, the, the forests, the, the oceans, the stars, everything, humans, animals, everything's been created by God. That's what Genesis 1.1 says. Now John 1.1 is going to say something related to that, only he's going to say The Word created all things. Now, what does that tell you right away? If God created all things and the Word created all things, then the Word is God. We already saw that in John. But it's profound. It's something that, that, remember now, that when the Lord came, he came to Israel. When John wrote this gospel, he was primarily at the time interacting with and even addressing it in this gospel, the Jewish people. For them, this was a miraculous or maybe concerning and disturbing thing, depending on what side of the belief you're on, that God, Yahweh, the Lord, he created the heavens and the earth. And now we find that this person, Jesus Christ, existed forever and he created the heavens and the earth. What an incredible thing to say about a person when you think about it. Because remember, they first experiencing, experienced him as a human being. Then they saw his glory. And then it was revealed to him that this is the Son of God. That he, Jesus Christ, who walked the planet for 33 years, created everything. And as we saw in John, um, a little later on, it's going to say he came. He came into the world that he created as a human being. Of course, he's, he's sovereign and omnipotent as God. But he came as a human being, you now remaining God. And the world rejected him. There's something wrong with that, by the way. There's something terribly, terribly wrong about a world not recognizing its creator. But of course, we see that all the time, don't we? Our world today exhibits that perhaps as much as ever in terms of the rejection of God, in terms even in this issue of creation, of rejecting the idea that they've been created at all. Never never mind that there's a God who created them. Nevertheless, it's true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here, let's think about in that beginning here. Since God, I want you to think about this just kind of naturally speaking. If God created the heavens and the earth, then he must have existed before the heavens and the earth were created. Does that make sense? Pretty straightforward, right? Well, the point is, is that that beginning in Genesis 1.1 when the Lord inspired Moses to write, in the beginning, here, in Genesis 1.1, what beginning was he talking about? Well, well, Moses was there to describe the fact that there's one God and that he created everything. Remember now, in context, 
the Jews, okay, when, when Moses was revealing these things, they were in the desert. They were about to go into the promised land. And they were going to face pagan nations who would say that there's many gods. And there's many myths of creation. Not all that different from what we find ourselves in today. All sorts of theories about who created things. The earth and the heavens and the animals and people. Right? So, so Moses' job was to say it was all created by God. That if you go back to the very beginning of creation, there's God creating it. That beginning. The, how the heavens and the earth came into being. That beginning. The beginning of Genesis 1-1 is the beginning of the creation. The creation. So, so there's a, that's a kind of a point in time you want to think of it that way. That you can identify God, who we know existed before, yet the point that, Gen- that Genesis 1-1 makes was that there was a beginning of all creation, and God did it. The beginning of the creation. Now, in John 1-1, when he says, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he was in the beginning with God, that's a different beginning. Why do I say that? Because it reaches back, way back before God created the heavens and the earth. I'd like you to see John seventeen five to see how Jesus put it. Remember, John 13 through 17 is what we sometimes call the upper room discourse. It just meant that the, on the night before the Lord went to the cross, he was in the upper room with his disciples. And then in chapter 17, John 17, 5, he is done speaking with the disciples. And then this chapter is his prayer, his commune, his, his conversation with his father. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with his father, and the word was God. In any event, notice how he puts, talking about the beginning in John seventeen five. He says, now, father, glorify me together with yourself. By the way, here he is talking about going to the cross. Going to the cross was how the Father would glorify him to the utmost. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Notice this, though. It's the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Genesis is saying, this is the moment that God created the world. Now, here we see Jesus, the Word, the Son of God, saying, I had glory with the Father before the world was. In other words... The beginning in John 1.1 1, 1, is infinitely earlier than the creation of the heavens and the earth. So if we were going to show a picture, we would perhaps say, probably should have shown, actually, I could, through the miracle of technology. All right, so let's just say, can I draw? Oops. <laughs> Oops. Let's see if I can get that back. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't fool around with technology all that much. Maybe if I hold this down. No. <laughs> Mark, help. Anyway, I won't do that. Anyway, if you picture a number line, right, from school. And uh, so you have a number line, and then you say this point on the number line. It was at that point that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we know he existed before, but we don't know from Genesis 1-1 what that was like. But John 1-1 tells us that you can take that point and have an arrow back, and it never ends. We don't know where it began because it never really began. But in that time, can't even call it a time period. In that state, 
right, which existed infinitely before the creation of the world. That's the in the beginning of John 1.1. In the beginning of John 1.1. It's infinitely earlier than the creation of the heavens and the earth, if I could put it that way. But the fact is, it's a reality that is beyond the capacity of a human mind to conceive. I'm talking about a number line, but that doesn't do it justice, of course. Well, the best word we can come up with to describe this in the beginning is eternal. Eternal, without beginning. Isn't that interesting? In the beginning, but eternal. Since you can't go and find the beginning of when God existed. You can't find it. You can never, it's, it's, it's forever. Just like we know that in the future, those of us who are believers in Christ, we have, we have eternal life. That's forever. We don't lose it. And again, the mind can't really conceive of experience status where we just keep going on forever. Our human minds now, anyway, are, are designed to think about time. Something happened in the beginning. Maybe it's the beginning of our life, the beginning of the nation of the United States, the beginning of creation, whatever. We can grasp that. We, we can grasp that things are going to happen in the future. We can consider that perhaps we have a certain lifespan. Then perhaps if we have children, they'll live. We can, ex- we can extrapolate, if that's the right word. We can think about things continuing to go on for a long time. But we really can't, our mind can't fathom something going on forever. We just, I remember when I was a kid, I probably told you this a couple of times, but I would sit in bed at night and I would think about that. I would try to experience forever. I would think about, okay, this goes on and on until, nope, it keeps going on. And, wait, wait, wait. And I would just picture myself in this place where I could never get to the end of, right? And so, but if you, but you can't, you'll never get to the end. That's, that's eternal. We can't really get our minds around it. So a lot of things of God that we should just stop trying to get our mind around. And we're going to see another one. The word became flesh. Okay, but can we really grasp that? No, we can't. It's beyond our ability to really understand and master, you know, the way that mankind has mastered nature, so we think, has principles and laws and science. We can never do that with God. We can never do that with something that is easy to, for John to express. Very simple. The word became flesh, but impossible really to probe the depths of. It's the same thing with John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, there's the, we're going to go into this in a little while. I'm jumping ahead. The Word was in the beginning, which is eternal. The Word was with God. Now, so far, we, have a, that's, we can kind of put that together. Okay, there's this thing called the world. I say thing. I shouldn't say it that way. But there's a person. There's this person called the Word. And this is a person called God, and they were together. So far, our mind can grasp that. But as soon as you turn around and say, this word, who seems to be another person with God, is God. Wait a minute. Our mind can't really grasp that. So we'll get, we'll get into more of that in a, in a few. Wow, the beginning, the best word is eternal. In other words, it's a beginning that never had a beginning. Again, really impossible for us to think about it. That's why when Moses went to the Lord and said, I'm going to, to your people and they're going to ask me perhaps, what's your name? And he said, I am. What did that mean? I am existing. 
I just exist and I always have. God always was. And in that same eternity past, the word existed also. He existed with God. And that word was God. And there's another truth that boggles the mind. How can the word, a person, be with another person who is God and at the same time be God himself? Boggles the mind. Especially, again, I'll mention this, from, from the point of view of the Jewish people. You read the Old Testament. You read it. We saw the very start. It said God. The first word in the Bible. Uh, no, it's not in the beginning. In the beginning, God. It's pretty close. Fourth word. In the beginning, God. All right. And then throughout the Old Testament, we're going to see a couple of passages in a moment. We find out that God is one. That was like the whole focal point of being Jewish. Really, it was that the other nations say there's many gods. But the truth that has been revealed to the nation of Israel is there's one. There's one. And again, if you're a Jew in the first century, that was your frame of mind. We saw it because unbelievers, unbelieving Jews, wanted to stone the Lord Jesus Christ when he dared say, I am God also. It was beyond their frame of mind, beyond their world, if you want to put it that way. And only by faith can we jump out of a previous wrong state of mind and accept what God is telling us without trying to figure it out. But in any event, the Lord revealed himself in the Old Testament as the only God. There is only one God. For example, please turn now to the Old Testament, book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy basically means to say the same thing again. In other words, Deuteronomy is repeating a lot of things that came in the first four books of what we sometimes call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, sometimes called the Torah. It's a Jewish word. But anyway, the fifth one, Deuteronomy, is one I want you to turn to now. Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy 4.39. The Lord revealed himself in the Old Testament as the only God. There is only one God. If there was one thing that characterized the faith of the Jewish people, it was that there's one God. Thou shalt not have false gods before me. There's one. There's one. Look, Deuteronomy 4.39. Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Okay. Please look it out at Isaiah. We'll see it said pretty much the same way in Isaiah. So we have the first five books where the Lord instructed Moses to write that. There is no other. There's one God. Go forward to a prophet. It happens to be the prophet that we're studying right now in Thursday evening informal Bible study. The book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah. Please turn to chapter 45 of Isaiah. I'll give you a moment to get there. The Lord revealed himself in the Old Testament as the only God. There is one God and only one. Unity. Right? One. And again, very simple. Child can understand one. Right? Child can understand one. A child can understand two. But God help you in math class if you tell the teacher two equals one. See, our mind doesn't grasp that, really. 
Okay. In any event, Isaiah 45, 5 says the same thing. I am the Lord and there's no other. Besides me, there is no God. The Jews were quite, quite certain that there's one God. But then we go back to John 1, 1. Our passage this morning, John 1, 1. The Lord, and I want you to see this as you turn there in John 1, 1. I want to go back to this slide for a minute. There was one word here that perhaps I didn't emphasize enough, so I'm going to emphasize it now. And that is the word revealed. We would know nothing about God except what we see in nature. If it weren't revealed to us. Everything that we know about God is revealed, either in nature, but especially in the word of God. So the point is, is that God decided that he would reveal himself in the Old Testament as one God. Then... We go to the New Testament, and in John 1, 1, let's read it. In the beginning was the Word. Now, in order of a Jewish person right away, in understanding Genesis 1 and coming here to John 1, 1, in the beginning, what would they expect? Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God, right? That's not what's here, is it? In the beginning was the Word. They expected God, they got the word, and then we find out, wait a minute, the word was with God. Yeah, but God said he was alone, only, only God, there's no other. God, that God created the heavens and the earth, in the beginning God. Here we see, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. You might want to, you might, you, if it was simple, if you just started with the word was God, then they'd have no problem with it. Oh, okay, that's another word for God. But when you say the word was with God, now all of a sudden this is something apart from, quote, God. So this was a mind-boggling thing. I want you to get the sense of how mind-boggling it was for a Jewish person in the first century to read this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. There are two people, and the word was God. Again, a mind blow. What are you talking about? There's two gods now? See, you could even understand maybe the word was an angel. Right? In the beginning was the Word. Maybe it's an angel. The Word was with God. That's fine. An angel can be with God. But then when you read the Word was God, now you're beyond your capacity. Especially as a, as a person who believed there's one God only. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In other words, the one is now revealed as two. I know what you're saying right now, there's three. But let's just walk through the gospel as it, as it reveals itself, as it unfolds, okay? And I use the word revealed on purpose. Because God was always God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But he didn't see fit to reveal him as such to the Old Testament. Except for a couple of passages, which we, we can maybe look at. But by and large, he revealed himself as one God. Then he decides that he is, while he chose to reveal, that's that word reveal again, himself as one God in the Old Testament, then something happened. That something was that his son came into the world. And now he had to describe the fact that his son is God and came into the world. He reveals more about God. He reveals that God is two persons while remaining one God. 
Again, hard to conceive of with our limited human thinking, but clearly revealed in the word. God said, I'm going to reveal something else about God. Okay, God is two people. Now, of course, later in John, there'll be a third person that joins the family of being revealed so that there's a complete revelation of who God is. And I'm talking about God, the Holy Spirit. He's revealed as God in this same gospel. Now, we take it for granted, and I understand that we take it for granted. We say, yes, we know that God is, and we use kind of, sometimes we use fancy language. And a lot of times, I'll give you a hint, when theologians use fancy language, it's because they really can't get their arms around what they're saying. Just a little hint for you. Okay? Because Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you read John, the language is always simple. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Simple, yet beyond our ability to understand. So there's three, and now we know that God is three persons while remaining one God. Now, what word do we use for that? Trinity, right? Now, why do we use that word? The answer is, well, it's an interesting word. It means triunity. Okay, I get it. That's pretty good. But you see, the problem is, is when we take a word, we, we, we pretend that we've now captured the meaning of something in our understanding. We haven't. We haven't. Don't reduce it. Don't say, oh, yeah, that's the Trinity. I'll move on now. I got a word now. I can move on. When the, when the revelation is mind-blowing, it always will. We can't understand it. We'll never understand it. It's beyond our ability to understand it. So what's left? We can't get our mind around something. What's left? We can't get our rationality around something. What's left? Believing in it. Exactly. Believing in it. And that's what we're asked to do. Not only are we asked to believe that God is three persons, but we're asked to actually relate to him as three persons because we pray to the Father, we're saved by the Son, and we're inspired and, and motivated and moved and, and learned through the Holy Spirit. So even though we can't get our arms around it, we accept it, and we then we, we relate to God as three persons, about never moving beyond the fact that he's one God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. And let me tell you something about that, that one statement. We, the whole gospel of John should be read in light of this one verse. The whole gospel. The fact is that the word is now going to be revealed in this gospel. And it's going to be revealed to answer the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Or who is the Son of God? Or who is the Christ? And so we really never get beyond, in terms of the scope, the meaning of the Gospel of John, what's said here. Because it's amazing what's said here. It's all-encompassing what's said here. It's saying that there is this word that we find out is Jesus in the flesh. The word in the flesh is Jesus. This word was with God. That's why we see so often in the Gospel of John, him talking about his father, relating that everything that he has, he's received from the Father. He has the ability to do things because of the Father. He has received life itself and became the source of life because the Father had life too. The Word was with God, and then the Word was God. The Word was God. That's, that's the point of the Gospel of John. That Jesus is God. 
But, but you have to follow that through. In other words, he doesn't say that in chapter 1, verse 1. In verse 1, he doesn't say Jesus is God. He intentionally uses the word was God. Why? Because he's going to draw this out. He wants you to start from thinking about this time before time where we have the word and God and the word is God. He wants you to start there. Then he's going to go on and say the word created all things and the word is life and the word is light and that the light came into the world and then we're going to find out that that word became flesh. See how it all builds Okay, the word, I see it in eternity, I, somehow. I see it now in the fact of that creation and that there's life and light. And now I find out that this word became flesh. That's, an, that's another thing we have to get our arms around and really can't. And then finally that person is named Jesus Christ. It's so much different to start there and go forward than it is to simply say, oh yeah, Jesus is God. Because you want to really get... The overpowering sense of what that means. And therefore, the whole Gospel of John should be read in light of this one verse. In other words, the works and the words of Jesus in this Gospel, his discourses with with his disciples and with the Pharisees, his words, his works, the miracles, turning water into wine, all of those things, all of his works, all of his words are the words of God. And it's interesting, because last week we read that the whole point of this gospel was so that there would be signs, so that people would believe on the basis of those signs, or or better ways, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In other words, he's written this whole gospel to get to the point where he turns to the reader and says, I want you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God now. But he began the same way. He begins the gospel by asserting The very thing he'll ask the reader to believe in the end. So there's no doubt, really. If you take John 1, 1 through 18 by faith, there's absolutely no doubt that Jesus is God. And yet, he's going to present all of these other things about Jesus before he comes to the end. And he turns to the reader and says, Now, I want you to believe what I told you in the beginning, that Jesus is the Son of God. All right. So the question is, who is this word? In other words, we started today by saying, in the beginning was the word. Who is the word? See, that's the question of the first 18 verses of this Gospel of John. Who is the word? I mean, it's, if you think about it again, if you just read this from the beginning and you saw, in the beginning was the word, it would stimulate all kinds of questions, but one big one, who? Who is this word? And John develops what he develops here in order to give us fact after fact so we basically construct our understanding of who this word is. He doesn't come out and say, this is the word. He says, let me describe the word to you. What do we know? The word has always existed. Well, that narrows it down. (laughs) Can't be a human being, can it? Can't even be an angel because angels were created. He always existed. He was with God. He is God. We find that out right away. This word always existed, was with God, and he is God. But that's not all. Please look at John 1.3. John 1.3. All things came into being through him. 
And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Again, he walks through this so that it's unmistakable what he's saying. There can be no misunderstanding here. All things came into being through the word. All things. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. Angels, everything. Came into being through the word. And then to make it crystal clear, he says, apart from the word, nothing came into being that has come into being. But you see, of course, some things have never come into being, by the way. Namely, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They never came into being. They always were. But everything else came into being through the Word. Now, we know from the Old Testament, starting Genesis today, that God created all things. But now we learn that He created all things through the Word. Nothing came into being apart from the Word. The Word is God, and He is the agent of creation, and He is therefore the creator of all things. He always existed, always been with God, is God, created all things. Now the picture is becoming clearer of who this Word is. It's funny, because you know, a lot of theologians, oh, they want to go into the Greek Word and tell you what it means. That's who the Word is, and it means this, and it means that. Well, they'll try to go into the culture of the time and say, well, he's borrowing this from the Greek. And at that time, the Greek philosophers said the word was ridiculous. Ridiculous because, as always in the Bible, if you have a question, just keep reading. And you'll get the answer nine times out of ten. If it's not there, it's somewhere else. No, the word always existed. It's different from God, but is God. And he is, and he, I mean, he was a different person from God. He is God. And he, the word, created all things. Created all things. I want you to turn to Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.16. The word is God. The word is the agent of creation. The word is the creator of all things. Look at Colossians 1.16. You know, there really is an amazing progression in God's word from the very beginning in Genesis 1-1 all the way to the very end in Revelation 22. A progression. We see it right here. We see the Gospel of John. And it says that all things were created by, by the word. Then we go to Colossians 1, 16-17. And notice what we have here. For by him... And if you, this is the Son of God now. All things were created. It's the same statement. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. It goes into more detail about what everything or all things that came into being consists of. That's one thing, but let's read it. Let's keep going. All things have been created through him. So far, so good, right? Because that's the word. We already learned that all things were created through the Word. And now we know that the Word is God and the Son of God. So that all makes sense. But I want you to see something new to this added here. All things have been created through the Son of God and for the Son of God. That's something else altogether. 
Because it's saying, it answers the question why. I mean, the question how is through the Son. The question why. Why were all things created? Why did God create the heavens and the earth in the first place? Why did he do it? Well, here we get a very simple answer. He did it for his Son, through whom he also created everything. That's a, that's a, that's a miraculous, amazing... Again, when we think about it, about Jesus Christ... And then we read the rest of the story about how man fell and about how God sent his son to die for the sins of the world. God raised him from the dead. This is the height of the glory of God at work, you see. God was glorified through his son, and that's why he created all things, so that his son would be glorified with him. He did it for his son. When you look at this morning, if you look at a great sunrise, you can say to yourself, God did that for his son. If, if you look at a beautiful landscape, or you look at the stars at night, and you, and you say, wow, why did God create these things? The answer is, for my son. And see, we just come along for the ride. God created all things for his son. From this passage, again, not only do we see that things were, all things were created by the son, we also learn that all things have been created for the son. Back to John. Go back to John chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to wrap this up because we are celebrating the Lord's Supper today. John 1, 3. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, Jesus is Lord over all creation. When we say Jesus is Lord, often we restrict that to us. Of course we do. We're self-centered. Well, that just means that he's my Lord. Yes, he is. He's the Lord of all creation, though. And that's something totally different. You see, we can't make Jesus Lord. That's one of the most ridiculous things that's ever come out of the mouth of man. Make Jesus Lord. How exactly am I going to do that? When, in fact, he has been Lord for all of eternity. And he is the Lord of all creation. He just is. <laughs> see, that's the difference between, unfortunately, what is sometimes we, I call the Lordship salvation, where we got to do, we got to repent. We got to make him Lord. We got to follow him. We got to commit to him. When all God is asking us to do is say, I'm going to reveal you everything about him, all I want you to do is believe in him. He is the Lord of all creation. By the way, he performed several signs in the Gospel of John that absolutely prove this. For example, changing water into wine. Only the Lord of creation, the Lord of water and wine, can change water into wine. I mean immediately. That's not the only one. Feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. I want you to try that one out. (laughs) I want science to try that one out. I want to see if any scientist today can walk into a room with five loaves and two fishes and walk out of it five minutes later. With 5,000 loaves and how many fish that that is. Can't be done. Only the Lord of creation can do that. And of course the other one, walking on water. Oh, we say that about, don't we say that about people? Oh, he walks on water. Well, what does it mean? You know, what it really means is that only the Lord of creation can walk on water. It defies the laws of gravity as we understand it. Therefore, there's somebody who has to be Lord of the laws of gravity. And that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Look at verse 4, though, as we wrap up. 
one other thing this morning. In him was life. In him was life. All life is in the word. All life originates in the word. The word is the source of all life. Now I say that. Now you might say, we already know that. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Sure. That's absolutely true. And you can deduce from that that he's the source of all physical life. Right? Right? I mean, after all, changing water into wine is a physical thing. And even, even um, you know, walking on water, feeding 5,000. We know he's the Lord of, of physical life. And he says that. Notice John 5, 26. John 5, 26, as we wrap up here. Go forward to chapter 5, verse 26. The word is the source of all life. John 5, 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Well, there you have John 5, 26. Drawn from the same well as has been dug in John 1, 1 to 1, 4. Why? Because the Father and the Son both have life. And everything that Jesus has on earth, he received from the Father because he's the Son. And you know what? Jesus proved, by the way, that he was the source of physical life. Most amazingly, most clearly, without a doubt, no argument possible, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He showed he's the source of physical life. That's what, that's what came out of Lazarus when he died, physical life. And then God restored him. That means he's the source of that physical life because he restored Lazarus from the dead. And there he is with that. Lazarus, come forth. You were dead physically. Now you're alive physically. But don't we know now that, that we have, were dead spiritually? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, which is far worse, actually, than being dead physically. Far worse. The Lord would say as much. He says, listen, don't fear those who can destroy the body and not touch the soul. Rather, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. There's more to life than physical life. No, because Jesus Christ is not only the source of physical life, he's the source of eternal life. Eternal, and that gets revealed in the Gospel of John also. One other passage, and then we'll close. John eleven twenty five. Same scene. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is talking to his sister. They, she was wondering why. Why didn't he come sooner? He could have saved Lazarus's physical life. As of here, he hasn't raised him from the dead yet. Jesus called Martha to believe. Notice. Jesus said to her, I am. Existed from all eternity. I am the resurrect, the resurrection, the life. I'm the source of all life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. You die physically, but you will live in the greatest possible way. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? The key question, the overriding question of this gospel. So, there are five things we learned today about the word. Let me give them all to you and then we'll close and have the Lord's Supper. We learned that the word always existed. 
The word always is with God. The word is God. The word is the creator of all things. And the word is the source of all life, be it physical or eternal. We learn those five things in in three and a half verses. Again, he always existed. He is always with God. He is God. He's the creator of all things. He is the source of life. All of that in three and a half verses from John. All right, let's close and get ready for the Lord's Supper. Oh, by the way, next week we're going to continue, of course, in the second part of verse 4, and we will also learn that he is light. We'll get to that next week. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for these profound truths laid out for us in simple language through the writer of the Gospel of John. And Father, help us to just think about these things, meditate on them, consider them, allow them to just speak to our hearts and and overwhelm our understanding and see who you really are and get get the significance of all that we're going to read in the Gospel of John. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I'd like to now invite the ushers to come forward and pass out the communion elements. Ushers, usher, usher. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will nor of the of the rather nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god right here in chapter 1 of the gospel of john we have the basic outline and the basic reason for the good news the reason that the, that christ came into the world because the world though made through him did not know him that the people of the world were in darkness That's why he came. He is the light which enlightens every man. And most still reject him. But those who believe in him become the children of God. Eternal life. After all, if you're a child of God and God lives forever and he wants you to be with him, he's going to want you to be with him forever. We have the elements of the gospel right here in the first chapter of John. You see, he came. Why did he come? Yeah, the Word is with God. The Word is God. He's existed for all of eternity. Why did he come? Why did he come? The answer is he came to lay down his life, the source of life, for us. The source of life came for us who are in the darkness so that he may lay down his life for us so that we may be in the light. Very simple. Later on, John would talk of him as the shepherd, the good shepherd, who again would lay down his life for the sheep. Who are the sheep? Those who believe in him. What happens? He gives them eternal life. The source of all life laid down his life so that we might have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 11, 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we again want to thank you for the facts of the gospel. We want to thank you, Father, that whoever, no matter what they have done, no matter how many times in the past they've rejected you, whoever believes in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, believes that he died our sins, that he was buried and he was raised from the dead, simply believes these things, will never perish but have eternal life. It's so simple. And then, Father, by, by bringing into these things into remembrance, by remembering Jesus, we are to take those things and share them with others. As we share the bread and the cup today, help us to share the ultimate good news with those who are truly hungry and truly thirsty. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right. um, As always, I just want to remind everybody and invite you to come to Bible study on Thursday at 630. As we continue studying Isaiah, please let us know any prayer requests you have. Simplest way is over the the website on the first page. There's a place where you can do that. Remember that uh, it it is um, our privilege to be givers as our Father is a giver and, and, and as a reflection of how we've been blessed. So that's the right mindset. Remember that. Remember that um, part of that is supporting this ministry to the extent that you think that the Lord has shown you that this ministry actually does go out and, and, and serve people and that the privileges that you have, perhaps, you see it that way, to hear the word of God, that you would want others to as well. Okay. One more time, I want to make sure everybody understands the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's why, actually, we celebrate the Lord's Supper on a regular basis so that we would bring into remembrance the truths of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the Word. He is God who became man, became flesh. He went to the cross, as we'll see in John chapter 18 and 19. He died and was buried. John is an eyewitness to these things, and he was raised from the dead. John is an eyewitness to that as well, so that whoever believes in him never perishes but has eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. May we be able to pour that out under any circle. The reason why we need to hear it again and again and again so that it's second nature is that you don't even have to think about it. You're in a situation, God has provided you an opportunity, an opening, and it just pours out of you. All right. If you have any questions, I know in the past, before COVID, I would invite people to come, come down here and ask me questions. Of course, we're not doing that these days. So instead, I would just ask you to um, email me. 
I'd be happy, more than happy, to receive emails, questions that you might have. Um, so please take advantage of that. All right. Heavenly Father, we would just like to close today once more expressing our gratefulness for your glory, your omniscience, your power, your love, your righteousness, your forgiveness, your grace. And we thank you again for Jesus as we ask all these things in his name by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Go enjoy the day today. Figure out which quarterback you want to root for, if you're even watching, which I will be. All right, take care.